Riding a two-game winning streak, the Seahawks are climbing up the NFC West standings and are starting to look like the team that many expected to see in 2023. But where do they stack up against the rest of the NFC? After three weeks, we'll be breaking it all down on our Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to be joined here for our Tuesday episode by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang, and a special thanks to each and every one of the 12s out there, whether you're listening in nearby Pullman, Washington, where the Cougars are lighting it up this year in their final season in the Pac-12, or you're listening overseas in Tokyo, Japan. We greatly appreciate each and every one of you for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. It's kind of an odd week because the Seahawks are going to be playing on Monday Night Football, so everything's pushed back a little bit. The Seahawks normally would just have Tuesday off. They're going to have Tuesday and Wednesday off, so we'll have a little bit more time to talk about the upcoming opponent, the New York Giants, as Seattle gears up for Monday Night Football. We'll be taking a first peek behind enemy lines at what's new with the Giants on offense, defense, and of course, with their draft picks coming in. And it'll be Tell the Truth Tuesday festivities, dishing out our final words of wisdom coming out of Sunday's game, the victory over the Panthers at Lumen Field. Without further ado, let's get to it. Now for your lead story here on our Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. It's been only three weeks, but we're starting to get an early idea where teams stand in the AFC and the NFC hierarchy. The Seahawks started off with a rough opener against the Rams, but things have stabilized the last two weeks, Rob. Seattle has now started to look like the team that many expected to see in 2023. 37 points in each of their back-to-back wins against the Detroit Lions and Carolina Panthers. The defense is still struggling in some regards. At the same time, they're creating turnovers. They're getting more pressure with their pass rush. There's been some encouraging developments the last couple weeks, while the offense has been able to put a lot of points on the board. And so now Seattle sits squarely in second place in the NFC West behind San Francisco at 2-1. and And this division is certainly one that's worth watching here the next few weeks because – The Rams have cooled off since that opening win against the Seahawks. Did not look very good against the Bengals on Monday Night Football. They're now 1-2 and with two straight defeats after beating Seattle. And Arizona beats the Dallas Cowboys uh, pretty handily. I think you got to give Jonathan Gannon some credit because the team Seattle's playing on Monday, they had the Giants beat and they ended up choking that game away. But Arizona has been much more competitive without Kyler Murray than I think anybody could have anticipated making this division – even more interesting than we thought going into the year. Yeah, 100% agree with you on that. I think the San Francisco 49ers are obviously the class of the division at this point. They're 3-0, and and they have looked like world beaters so far this season. You know, personally, I, I think that you still, considering the fact that the Seahawks and the Rams played, I think that you still have to give the Rams a little bit of credit. And if I was ranking all of the teams in the NFC, uh, not just the NFC West, but the NFC, I would still have the Rams above the Seahawks. I think that, you know, they, they beat Seattle head-to-head. but 
Of course, we don't have to do that with the Seahawks holding the advantage now at a two and one record. As you mentioned, the Cardinals and Rams, uh, you know, right now at one and two behind Seattle. I think that if you really look at all of the clubs in the NFC, to me, there is two teams that are just heads and shoulders above everybody else. That would be, again, the aforementioned San Francisco 49ers, the Philadelphia Eagles, who, of course, were in the Super Bowl a year ago, had an impressive performance on Monday Night Football just last night. Uh, you can just see how formidable that defense is, along with, of course, Jalen Hurts on offense, dynamic wide receiver play as well. They look like a very good team. But at the same time, it's early. The Seahawks are starting to, uh, you know, kind of start to ascend a little bit. Very impressive performance, uh, you know, against the Carolina Panthers this past week. 25 points in the second half, considering all the problems they had, especially along the offensive line, as we talked about the last couple of days. To me, that is very encouraging. And you got to feel like Seattle's young team, especially the wide receiver, Jackson Smith and Jigba, the cornerback, uh, Devin Witherspoon, getting Reek Woolen back, that this is a team that is just kind of starting to scratch the surface of its potential. Yeah, and I think the thing that's note, worth noting here is, again, it's only been three games. You know, one thing we are not going to be discussing until middle of the season, you know, quoting Jim Mora Sr., we're not going to be talking playoffs? We're not going to be talking about that kind of stuff until we get to at least week eight. But it is, you know, it's deep enough into the season that I think it's worth taking a look at where the standings sit. And I think in the power rankings aspect, where the Seahawks stack up and all of our hosts at locked on each week, we dish out our power rankings individually. We obviously do it anonymously. I'm not going to be sending in something like, Hey, Seattle's number one. And I didn't pick them number one this week anyway, but you look at our power rankings as a network here going into week four, San Francisco has been number one throughout the entire process. They look fantastic. And I know that's not something Seahawks fans want to hear, but the 49ers have looked excellent. Brock Purdy has, has shown no signs of regression coming off that fabulous finish to his rookie season. Miami moving up to number two after putting up a 70-burger on Russell Wilson and the Broncos, one of the most lopsided games in NFL history. And then after that point, you've got the Eagles. The Dallas Cowboys are still at number six, even after losing the Arizona Cardinals. I had the Cowboys at number 11 on my rankings. I actually had the Seahawks and the Lions both ahead of them. The Packers, I'm still not sold on. They're at number 10 on our list here, but that feels like a team. I don't want to say that the wins have been fluky, Rob, but it does feel like that's a team where the schedule so far has been serviceable for them. They've played teams like the Bears and the Falcons, and they lost to the Falcons. I mean, I just am not sold on Green Bay being a top-10 team, but uh, they certainly have exceeded expectations starting off with a 2-1 and one record. They had a nice comeback win this week. It really feels like that second tier of teams behind the 49ers and the Eagles. I think a healthy Cowboys team, they're not going to have Trayvon Diggs the rest of the season, though. So that is certainly a huge loss for them after he tore his ACL practice last week. It does feel like this is still a spot where Seattle can emerge as that number three team in the NFC and potentially sniff around with those number one and two teams by the end of the year. If everything works out, they're able to get that defense rolling on all cylinders and the offense is able to find ways to really be a top three unit. 
Yeah, no question about it. Uh, I mean, as we just talked about, I mean, if the Dallas Cowboys, for example, they're losing Trayvon Diggs. That is a huge blow to that team. And one of the reasons why they they fell down the board a little bit, of course, that and the loss to the Arizona Cardinals. And, and so I think that it just shows the vulnerability uh, of some clubs early on where Seattle's already taken some of those shots to the chin and been able to ascend even with having some significant injuries to them. Now, obviously, it's not as significant as losing a all-pro cornerback uh, to an ACL for the entire season. Um, but still, that's a significant blow. And you know, I, I look at some of the other clubs that were, were on the rankings there that I personally kind of disagree with here. Um, you, you mentioned the Green Bay Packers. I think that they are up a little bit too high for the same reason why I argued before. I thought that, that the LA Rams should be up higher than they are. The Seahawks, of course, beat Detroit Lions, who are currently ranked number seven. Um, and, and frankly, we're going to be talking a lot about a New York Giants team that at that ranked number 27. I get that they have struggled with injuries, but you look at that fearsome Detroit, or excuse me, fearsome New York Giants defensive line. I really think that that is a club that if they get their superstar running back, Saquon back, Barkley, back onto the field for them, that they could be another club that is making a, a significant jump up the board here as, as things move forward. Uh, you know, finally, the, the other club that I definitely want to make sure that I kind of I kind of mentioned here uh, will be the Jacksonville Jaguars. They, they've just not been clicking so far. Um, ranked number 13th overall. You can see the little arrows there. Those of you who are watching on YouTube, thank you. As Corbin always says, thank you so much to all of you who are watching. But those of you listening, the Jacksonville Jaguars ranked 13th right now that's a drop of five spots the biggest drop of any club biggest movement of any club so far and it's easy to understand why considering how much that they have struggled over these last couple of weeks but they are a club that has an awful lot of talent on paper but they're going to have to actually be able to produce so i think they're you're going to see these rankings of course fluctuate but as you said corbin and kind of leading off we're we, we're three weeks in now you know, it, it's not just the, the surprise that maybe that it was with the with the Rams coming to Seattle and, and beating the Seahawks here. Now you, you're kind of you are what you are after three weeks. And so the statistics out there are, are very much kind of bear this out, that if you are not above 500 after week four, then you really, really have a difficult, uh, you know, match up ahead of you to try to get all the way back into the playoff contention. So you're right. We're not going to really be talking about playoffs until week eight, week nine. But I do think that you already can start to see who the, the big boys are, so to speak, across the, the NFL landscape. Yeah, I think you start to see the cream rise to the top as things start to unfold three, four weeks into the season. So this is about where you start to see teams are tenders and which ones are going to be pretenders which teams can rebound from a rough start even if that was just week one week one is so unpredictable but you start to see things start to be more chalk once you get into the second third fourth game and moving forward so I do think it is now the time of year that it's worth looking at where things stand and we're going to be doing this every Tuesday looking at power rankings and where the Seahawks stack up in the NFC West eventually there will be playoff uh, pictures and percentages but again we're not going to get to that just yet with it only being week four of the 2023 season coming up next we're going to dish out our tell the truth tuesday wisdom our final thoughts coming out of sunday's win over the panthers and gearing up for monday's battle in prime time against the giants in the meadowlands don't go away you're listening to the tuesday edition of locked on seahawks 
which is brought your way by Nutrafol. Men think losing their hair is inevitable. For me, it was, but you don't have to choose between better hair growth and your health. Nutrafol provides a whole body health approach for men that promotes healthier hair. No drugs, no compromises, just better hair. Did you know that 80% of men will experience hair thinning in their lifetime? It's normal, but it doesn't have to be your final fate. You can get ahead of thinning with Nutrafol. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off the first month's subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com slash men and enter the promo code Locked in NFL. Find out why over 4,000 healthcare professionals recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com slash men, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L, dot com slash men, and enter the promo code Locked in NFL. That's Nutrafol.com slash men, promo code Locked on NFL. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. It's your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to each and every one of the 12s out there for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Coming up tomorrow, it's Matchup Wednesday. We'll be diving into the key matchups to watch, including Seattle's offensive line against that very talented defensive front for the New York Giants. We'll get to all those matchups on tomorrow's episode, so make sure that you are listening in. Let's dish out our Tell the Truth Tuesday wisdom. It could be thoughts from Sunday's game. It could be thoughts about where the Seahawks sit after three games. It could be thoughts about this upcoming week against the New York Giants. Rob, you get the mic first. And on the offensive side of the football, what are your words of wisdom today here for our Tell the Truth Tuesday segment? Well, I, I appreciate that, Corbin. I, I don't know that I would call them words of wisdom when, at least, when I'm speaking. But uh, I definitely will tell you what I uh, what I learned um, based on kind of film review, watching the Seahawks' performance against the Carolina Panthers, and, and frankly, against uh, you know the the rest of the teams that they have played uh, so far, Detroit and the LA Rams as well. And I, I mentioned all three teams there that the Seahawks have played because there is a wide variety of defensive linemen that center Evan Brown has faced at this point i mean he's faced big body guys like bobby brown uh from the la rams as well as guys who are undersized but also incredible of course like like aaron donald and and that's what was in as well as like say for the detroit lions a, a team that uh, of course that that evan brown had started against and where i was been, i've been very impressed by evan brown um and just his kind of veteran savvy um this is a guy who at 6'3 320 pounds he's got Got very good quickness upfield. Um, he is, and he's very, uh, uh, very coordinated, very good communicator. Um, that's to me is one of the things that I have really been impressed with uh, in comparison to some of the centers that we've seen from Seattle in recent years. Um, every time he's going up to the line of scrimmage, he is pointing out to his guards, to the tackles, basically the blocking assignment. And that's, that's pretty typical. You see that a lot with centers, but his quickness in being able to recognize stunts and twists and being able to adjust to them one of the things i appreciate about him as well corbin is the fact that when he's going for a double team block then he doesn't release off of that first block to get to the second level until he is damn sure that that first block has been made and sometimes he doesn't get to that second level as often as you'd like and that's one of the reasons why the seahawks have been a little bit hit and miss at times in the running game but at the same time you'd rather him miss the linebacker at the second level rather than allow the defensive lineman 
to make the plays in the backfield. And that's so many times we talked about the Seahawks in the past that have basically been behind the sticks early on in running games. And that's one of the biggest reasons why I think the Seahawks have shown some improvement in this season. So again, Evan Brown to me, I give a lot of love to the tackles, a lot of love to the guards over the last couple of days. I definitely want to make sure that we mention Evan Brown, who is going back to the team in the New York Giants that actually made him an undrafted free agent. He made that club initially. Um, and so it's going to be a nice little homecoming for him. It's going to be interesting to see how he performs against a, that formidable Detroit, excuse me, formidable New York Giants defensive line. Yeah, I'm going to take a little bit more of a broad approach here to start off this edition of Tell the Truth Tuesday. And it's all about the third downs to me. We were just looking at where the power rankings stack up. And the Seahawks have put up 37 points each of the past two games. Most of those coming on offense. They did get the pick six from Trey Brown in Detroit. But it feels like this offense is finding its footing. They're scoring points. They scored 25 points the second half against Carolina. They got their run game going over 140 rushing yards against the Panthers. Geno Smith completed 12 out of 13 passes in the second half after a uncharacteristically inaccurate first half, some of that being the pressure that he was feeling. But for me, if the Seahawks are going to climb that hierarchy and really have a chance to be up there with San Francisco and Philadelphia among the NFC's elite, the NFC West and Super Bowl chances, it rides strictly on finding a way to improve on third down. And this is not just offense and defense or offense or defense. It's both. They have been bad in both categories. They allowed the Panthers to convert 10 third downs on Sunday. That is not going to cut it against teams that, quite frankly, have a lot more talent than what the Panthers do on the offensive side of the football, particularly at the quarterback and receiver positions. And on offense, they're under 30% for the season so far, converting third down. So for as well as they have played, for as many points as they have put up the last couple games, there are still so many points that are being left on the board. I mean, they started off. 0 for 4 in the red zone, converting those opportunities into touchdowns against Carolina and had to settle for field goals. So it's still the situational football. I like the fact that the run game has been better inside the 20 than last year. They've already scored four touchdowns inside the 10-yard line on the ground. Last year, they had one the entire season. So they have made strides in a lot of ways in the red zone, but the third down efficiency Anywhere on the field is not where it needs to be at. And defensively, they're still they're still hanging around the field and letting teams extend drives too much. So I think if you want to be with the 49ers and the Eagles, you want to sit at the same table come Thanksgiving, you better get your third down stuff cleaned up because the offense has a ceiling through the roof. But if you are not able to sustain drives and move the chains on third down, it's not going to matter how many dynamic players you have. That is something they have got to clean up here sooner rather than later. Yeah, no question about it. Uh, that is absolutely both, as you said, on the offensive and defensive side of the balls. If they can't be uh, better on third down, then yeah, then, then this is a team that maybe will sniff the playoffs, but they certainly aren't going to be sticking around very long uh, if, if that's the case. On the defensive side of the ball, the one guy that I want to make sure that we kind of mention again, we've talked so much about the secondary, so much about the pass rush, and certainly guys like a Jaron Reed and, uh, you know, Mari Edwards were absolutely spectacular um, this past week in particular. Uh, you know, but still, the linebackers are, are still the, you know, 
where it comes down to, it comes to defense. And Bobby Wagner remains the guy that, you know, the straw that stirs the drink, so to speak. I mean, it, it just, as I mentioned before with Evan Brown and his ability to kind of call out the plays and get everybody else organized, we're, we're seeing the same thing with Bobby Wagner. Uh, you know, the, the fact that Seattle is third in the NFL right now and only allowing 2.9 yards per rush attempt uh you know i think that bobby wagner deserves an awful lot of credit with that um now he's not necessarily making as many tackles as he has in past years and i think that's a good thing for for the seahawks what i'm seeing with bobby wagner is uh an aggression uh again lining people up the way that they're supposed to and when i say the aggression is that when he sees opportunities to make plays he is rushing up field that is forcing running backs or quarterbacks in some cases to kind of change their the angle that they were hoping to run and that's just allowing other defenders to make some big plays and, and jordan brooks actually just on the same topic jordan brooks is basically doing the exact same thing except his speed is certainly better than than bobby wagner at this point and that how remarkable is that fact the, the fact that jordan brooks um is coming off of of course the torn acl does it in you know eight nine months i mean something that's absolutely historic in, in his recovery here um i, I think it's a possibility that that seattle is going to have the second uh consecutive comeback player of the year candidate of course geno smith won it on the offensive side of the ball a year ago and there are some more high profile players out there that are probably going to get those votes across the the nfl landscape but jordan brooks has been damn impressive these first couple of weeks this season i don't know that the seahawks would be having the success that they're having as i mentioned before 2.9 yards per rushing attempt uh, I don't think they'd be having that success right now if they didn't have number 56 healthy and making plays for the Seahawks on defense so far this season. Yeah, a lot of linebacker love, and they certainly deserve it, especially in the run game. I think that Brooks and Wagner have both been integral to that run defense being resuscitated this year after how bad they were last season. And again, it's three games, so maybe it's still too small of a sample size, but there are some reasons to believe that this defense can continue to play at a high level defending the run. And I think the linebackers, one coming off injury, one coming back to Seattle after spending a year in L.A., my future Hall of Famer, you add him back to the defense, it certainly has paid dividends for them with their run defense. Speaking of that defense, if you've listened to our show, if you're a regular listener, again, we greatly appreciate each and every one of you that makes Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. But if you listen regularly, you know that Julian Love, at least in my opinion, has gotten off to a pretty rough start in his tenure in Seattle. But I'm going to say this. I thought he was one of the best players for the Seahawks on defense in the second half on Sunday. I thought he turned things around. The first half, he had that bad whiff on DJ Shark's 47-yard touchdown. So that's a play that certainly was a red flag for him. He got busted for helmet-to-helmet on a hit on Andy Dalton, so roughing the passer. First half, it just felt like more of the same for the first two weeks for Julian Love. But in the second half, he was much better and had two pass breakups, one of their better players, only gave up two catches on the game. So even though Julian Love has struggled, I saw enough the other day, I still think three safety sets, that needs to be your new base defense with Jamal Adams returning and not having limitations this week. You're going to be playing Jamal Adams a lot of snaps, maybe 80, 90% of the snaps right out of the gate. They wanted to make sure he was ready for that kind of a workload before they made him active. But Julian Love still needs to be out there a lot. And the fact that he can play that slot position, we saw some nice plays from him playing that big nickel role against the Panthers on Sunday. So I know the early returns maybe have not been what the Seahawks were hoping when they invested that contract in him, Rob, but he is continuing to play 
at a high level like what he did last year when he is comfortable. And I think he is getting more comfortable in this defense. You get Jamal Adams back. You add another really good football player to the mix, and Julian Love has maybe more defined things he's going to be doing each week. I think that it really is the most upside that you're going to see from this defense with those three safeties, Quandary Days included in that, on the field as much as possible. That being your new base defense with three safeties on the field. And my last words of wisdom, because you dished out both your linebacker ones, I got to talk special teams real quick. And I've even been guilty of this at times because DJ Dallas is not the most explosive returner in the league. This is not a guy that runs in the four threes or four fours. He's not a guy that has the quickest accelerator either. He's a mid-level car as far as that goes, but I want to give him some love here. I don't think he deserves the criticism that we see a lot of fans dish out for him. And I think that he is a really good return specialist and doesn't get enough love for what he does on special teams in general. You mentioned the hit that he made the other day on a punt, came down and just blasted a dude. And you could see the energy that the entire special teams unit and the entire sideline had after that play. Even though he didn't make the tackle, he blew the guy up and it allowed other players to come in, swarm to the ball carrier, and he was able to make the stop. But I think he's just been underrated as a kick and punt returner. I think that he is a guy that he is bold at times returning punch, which I think you've got to have a guy back there that has a little bit of fearlessness to him. You've got uh, speedy guys coming downfield, full speed at you and you got to try to make something happen. And I feel like he's made big strides in that regard. As far as now there was one the other day, I think he probably should have fair caught it because there were defenders right next to him, but he still caught it and got several yards on the return. So you can see the toughness factor. He just has that it factor. And I feel like he has improved a lot. So a lot of fans say, well, are we going to put somebody else back there? I like what I'm seeing right now. And I just think the energy that DJ Dallas brings on special teams in general, I think it's underappreciated by a lot of fans out there. Coming up next, we are going to shift gears to the Monday night matchup coming up in the Meadowlands against the New York Giants, taking a first look at the Giants coming off a surprising playoff season. It's been a rough start in New York where they wanted to record. We're going to look at what's new additions, departures, and draft picks, and a little bit of schematics about what to expect when the Seahawks battle the New York Giants on Monday Night Football. Don't go away. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks, which is brought your way by FanDuel. Get ready for week four in the NFL with incredible offers from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a spreads with the Seahawks going to New York as a one and a half point favorite player props maybe Jordan Brooks is now going to have improving odds to win comeback player of the year over and unders and more so visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season with an offer you won't want to miss FanDuel official partner of the NFL you're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my coast in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks, a very special thanks to each and every one of the 12s out there that makes Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Matchup Wednesday is coming up tomorrow. Rob and I will kick out our musty matchups in a rematch between the Seahawks and Giants. They played in Seattle last year. Seattle won that game going to be traveling to the East Coast. Those games can be tough, but a night game may be a little bit more of an advantage for the Seahawks in terms of the time zone difference going to battle the Giants on Monday Night Football. So you won't want to miss it. Matchup Wednesday coming up 
on the show tomorrow. Let's get to these Giants who it's kind of weird when you look at what the expectations were for this team going into the season because like the Seahawks, they were a surprise playoff team a year ago. And Brian Dable did a fantastic job guiding this team. Daniel Jones made some big strides in his fourth year's quarterback to the point that they gave him a massive contract. They were able to eventually bring back Saquon Barkley, even though there were some contract issues there at the running back position. They made a, a trade with the Raiders to bring in Darren Waller, so they add another dynamic pass-catching talent for Daniel Jones. And the defense added some pieces as well and was bringing back players like Kayvon Thibodeau. So there were some high expectations, yet at the same time, it felt like there were a lot of experts out there that also were wondering, could this be one of those teams that had a flash and a pan type season? And at least through the first three weeks of the season, the Giants have played more like that than a team that's going to be contending for a playoff spot in a deep NFC East division. And, and it's really been a struggle for this team on both sides of the football to this point. It really has. Uh, you know, as you said, uh, the, the Giants gave Daniel Jones, the quarterback, an awful lot of money. And through the first three games, he's got two touchdown passes and four interceptions. So right off the bat, I think that, you know, sometimes you can oversimplify things by just focusing on the quarterback. But I think that that's a perfect illustration of uh, how there were giant expectations. There has been Lilliputian uh, results for New this New York squad so far. So uh, I think that, uh, you know, again, when we look at the additions that are significant, you mentioned that the one that I think that should keep the Seahawks uh, fans awake at night a little bit, and that being the tight end, Darren Waller, just because we've seen the way that the Seahawks have been vulnerable to tight ends over and over again, and very few of them have the type of playmaking ability, even at this point in his career, that Darren Waller possesses. Uh, Ashawn Robinson, long-time Detroit line, and uh, for a short time there, L. LA Rams uh, defensive lineman who has given the Seahawks uh, fits at times uh, up front. Uh, you, you add him to a, uh, a defensive line that uh, features, of course, Kayvon Thibodeau pictured there, um, but also Leonard Williams. And in my opinion, the strongest man in the NFL in the, the big nose tackle, Dexter Lawrence. And so that to me is something that I think that, that we're going to be, I'm going to be definitely talking about uh, a little bit during our matchup uh, or excuse me, our, our Wednesday matchups here. Um, as far as the rookie class, that's always one of the things that I, I love to talk about. It, it's interesting because, as you said, I mean, there's a lot of parallels between the Giants and the Seahawks. And of course, the you know, the Seahawks bring back Geno Smith and, and his uh you know incredible performance a year ago. A lot of people want to compare it to what Daniel Jones did. The, the Giants and the Seahawks took very similar strategies when it came to the draft. Uh, you know, we, we talked a lot about centers. The Giants wound up taking John Michael. Schmitz, who we talked about an awful lot in the second round. Uh, they, they Seahawks took a cornerback and Devin Witherspoon, number five overall with their first pick. The, um, the, the Giants took Deontay Banks out of Maryland with their first round selection. The Seahawks went with the wide receiver and, and Jackson Smith and Jigba in their first round. The Giants took a receiver that some had pegged as a first round pick and Jalen Hyatt in the third. So there's a lot of parallels here. Um, the, the Giants are a team that didn't make a lot of splashy moves in free agency Corbin but they still are relying on some of these young players to kind of step up their play if they're going to be able to get back to the postseason race yeah I do think you know it's interesting going into this game it's not just the fact that both these teams were not expected to be playoff teams a year ago and they found a way into the playoffs but 
you can just look at what got them to the playoffs last year. The fact that Geno Smith elevated his game in his first year as a starter and just vastly exceeded expectations. A lot of the same things can be said about Daniel Jones last year. And both of these guys were able to turn those big seasons into new contracts. Guys at different stages of their career, Geno Smith being a 32-year-old that just somehow was able to figure it out in his second chance to starter. And Daniel Jones, he was on his last lifeline last year. There were a lot of people in New York that were saying, we need to go out and get a quarterback. We got to figure this out. There was some discussion. Can we go get Aaron Rodgers, for example? And then they get a solid season from Daniel Jones and his ability to run the football as well as throw it. Got himself a big contract. But I think you look at this early stage of the season there has been a divergence in paths here because Geno Smith, he hasn't been perfect by any means, but he's only thrown one pick. He's led the Seahawks to a bunch of points the last two weeks. He's had over 300 yards passing on average the last two games. He's completing over 70% of his passes. Geno Smith, by most metrics, is playing as good, if not better, than what he did last season as a comeback player of the year candidate. You can't say the same for Daniel Jones, and he has not had a lot of support. His receivers have dropped a lot of passes. The offensive line has struggled. They are 31st in the NFL in points scored. We can dig deeper into the fact they've been awful on third downs. They haven't been able to finish drives in the red zone. They're near the bottom in both of those categories. But just in general, this offense has really been kept under has been kept drowning for these first three weeks they have not been able to get anything going and now Saquon Barkley's got a high ankle sprain there's maybe an outside chance he's available that's a really tricky injury to get back from in less than three games and he just missed one so there's a chance that Saquon Barkley isn't playing in this game for the Giants so they don't have many options at running back that strike fear in you once Saquon Barkley goes down there's a huge drop off the receivers, there's still some question marks at that position. And Daniel Jones has not been able to live up to the contract at this point. And then you add in the fact that defense is 30th in points allowed. Their secondary has taken big steps back. Even though they've got a defensive line that's featuring a lot of big names and talented players, they've had issues in their back half. The linebackers haven't played well. That includes Bobby Okarike, who decided free agency. The secondary has struggled. They've given up a lot of big plays. The 49ers went all, ran all over them, passed all over them. Rough game last week on Thursday Night Football. So it just feels like everything that was working for the Giants last year, it's been the polar opposite to this point. And they're lucky that they were able to get out of that game against the Cardinals where they were down big and found a way to win it because they could be going into this game 0-3. And, and, and they've looked awful on both sides of the ball in the early stages of the season. They really have, uh, you know, they, they probably should be 0-3, as you said, uh, you know, they, it, it was a pretty miraculous comeback to, to be able to get that, that victory in Glendale just a couple of weeks ago that gave them their one victory so far. To me, what this really comes down to is the fact that uh, you don't have a healthy Saquon Barkley. And so all those Seahawks fans out there who, you know, were just so upset when the Seahawks for back-to-back years, you second round picks on running backs, you you see the, the, the fact that in Ken Walker, the third and then in Zach Charbonnet you have two dynamic and very different types of backs it keeps defenses on their heels whereas the Giants now and it's it's unfortunate to say Quan Barley Barkley is hurt but he has been hurt a couple of different times in the past this was somewhat predictable and I again don't want to make it sound like he is a an injury prone back but dynamic players that are going to get the ball as often as Saquon Barkley gets the ball when he's healthy sometimes get nicked up 
And, uh, you know, and, and so the drop off between he and then the, you know, guys like Matt Breda or Gary Brightwell, it, it's just a huge, huge drop um, in, in terms of talent, in terms of, of playmaking ability. So the Giants are not the same team that they are when Saquon Barkley is out there. And you made an excellent point about Daniel Jones and what a dynamic runner that he is. And that definitely complicates things. And as I mentioned before, Deontay Banks, the corner for the Giants, he's starting. He's playing very, very well uh, at, at the cornerback spot in terms of when you really scout him and evaluate him. But the, the safety play has not been as good. Of course, the Seahawks were able to lure Julian Love away from New York, and I think that that has solidified Seattle's secondary to this point. But the 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 Giants teams have had an opportunity, had the entire offseason to kind of you know make some adjustments to Brian Dable, to Wink Martindale, the defensive coordinator, um, and, and what he has been able to do right now. So uh, I'm concerned about this game from a Seattle perspective because the Giants do have some big guys um, at, at positions that have been concerns for the Seahawks to try to uh, match up against. But at the same time, there is no doubt about it. from a statistical standpoint, uh, the, the Giants have been struggling, whereas the Seahawks seem to be a ascending right now yeah it feels like the big difference is the skill positions but in the trenches you know the Giants offensive line they just benched Mark Glowinski twice in the last three weeks former Seahawks lineman who kind of rejuvenated his career with the Colts and had some solid seasons in New York but I mean they're dealing with some personnel issues they're missing John Feliciano who they lost in free agency Nick Gates they lost in free agency I mean not some names that you would think about looking at their losses. Well, that won't be a big deal. Those were veteran guys that can play multiple positions, and this offensive line is missing them. So they're they're struggling in the trenches too. It's really their defensive lines we'll talk about tomorrow. That is always what strikes fear when you have to deal with Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams always plays like a Hall of Famer, seems like, against the Seahawks. So that defensive line is a concern, no question about it. But as we'll talk about tomorrow, there are also some areas where, at least on paper, that the Seahawks should have some significant advantages, and that will make for an interesting matchup Wednesday coming up on tomorrow's show. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Subscribe and follow Locked on Seahawks on YouTube and wherever you listen to your podcast to make sure you don't miss a single episode. Coming up tomorrow, again, it's matchup Wednesday. We're going to be looking at the Seahawks O-line against that feisty defensive front for the Giants and much more. Make sure that you are listening in. It is a can't-miss episode each and every Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Go Hawks!